trolling, trolling for ten baggers. Trolling, trolling for ten baggers. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. You're here with Joel and Sam. We're here to talk about finding 10 baggers. That's a stock that's gone up 10 times. There isn't much out there about how you find a 10 bagger, so we chat to people who've found them before. In the show, we talk to all sorts of guests about all sorts of different things, but just remember that nothing included is advice. Make sure to speak with a professional advisor about your own circumstances before making any financial or investment decisions. Hi, and thanks for joining us. Today we're talking all things investor relations, hearing from the perspective of someone whose job it is is to make people aware of small cap companies along their journey. We discuss the role of investor relations, or IR, and why it's important not just for companies, but also for shareholders of those companies and investors when doing their research on a company. It's a bit of a different perspective from some of the guests that we've had on the show previously, but a really interesting conversation, and we hope you get something useful out of it. That's enough of an introduction, and on to the show. All right. Thank you very much for joining us, listeners. I'm excited to say today we have Glenn Zerka with us, an experienced IR professional. Glenn, welcome to the show. Thanks, Sam. Pleased to be with you in your audience. Do you want to just take us through uh, your experience and, and background in, in finance and financial markets? Sure. So I focus on investor relations for microcap stocks, so generally under under 100 mil. I guess technically that would be nano cap, but no one likes to hear that term. So um, especially not the companies themselves. So yeah, they're the smaller end of town um, and I'm helping with the investor relations. That means a whole myriad of activities. I guess some of the um, key things that investors might see in terms of output would be the reporting. Uh, so I undertake the drafting of quarterly reports, which is generally the main report that comes out of micro cap stocks that everyone's looking at. Um, as well as ad hoc announcements. Uh, Hopefully um, that would be things like contract announcements by clients. I work with a handful that are in the technology space um, and specifically in the uh, B2B uh, space. So B2 business or B2 enterprise uh, where they're sort of, I guess, a little bit more complex um, to understand. I guess in terms of IR and your working in it, is that something that you'd always intended to do or what was it that led you into this area? Yeah, look, I've been in capital markets my whole career one way or another. So I started out with KPMG overseas. I was based in um, in Zurich for a decade. Uh, so I moved over there when I finished university in Melbourne. And um, so working as an auditor um, initially and then uh, moved into industry, uh, working as a financial analyst in, in tier one companies in Europe. So with a global span, so very technical work. Uh, and then finally, um, I got tapped on the shoulder after a few years there to my first uh, investor relations role, and that was an in-house role um, with a large cap company. So, um, and after that, the, my journey continued specifically in investor relations. And um, I just started working for smaller and smaller companies over time, um, all with high growth rates, um, came back to Australia and then um, refocused on technology companies specifically since being in Sydney for the last almost 10 years now. Thanks for that, Glenn. Uh- I guess the reason we're so excited to have you on the show, I guess, is to sort of unpack what is investor relations and and how it sort of happens. So do you want to, I know you mentioned a couple of things, but do you want to mention, I guess, what is investor relations? Sure. And, you know, I think the first step in explaining that is to say it's not not about someone like me, right? It's a general trade and that investor relations is practiced 
by not just investor relations practitioners, we're the pure play people, but it's practiced by everyone and probably mostly by a CEO of a company. So that's a perspective I think we should probably look at investor relations in the context of your channel um, is to see it as, as a practice that's occurring in the marketplace um, one way or another or through a combination of factors. So, for example, um, I'm undertaking investor relations in combination with CEOs of companies that are my clients, but the boards of those companies are doing investor relations, other barbecue conversations often, um, and it's also very much integrated into ASX listing rules in terms of the body of um, governance that we are working with um, that, that obviously companies need to adhere to, which in Australia is actually quite advanced. Yeah, okay. And so I guess regardless of whether it's an internal or an external person filling the, the role and, and the um, investor relations side, can you talk us through some of the tasks and activities that that person would normally be undertaking? Yeah, sure. So I think from my perspective, uh, I see two key areas of investor relations that uh, people should be looking um, for companies to be performing. And the first one would be to create existence in the marketplace of an investment opportunity. So uh, that's one of the key, key objectives that we're doing day to day behind the scenes. Um, and in doing that, we're using a number of channels as well as our own channels. So obviously the, the largest channel in its own right is the ASX uh, reporting framework itself. Uh, so we're working there and um, there's actually a lot of movement in, in rules um, or has been over time. It's actually tightening up a lot. So we're quite restricted in some ways in terms of what we can say. Um, I say that not um, to appease the ASX, but just to make 10 baggers aware that um, there's a lot of information out there and a company is actually restricted in the way it prepares that information. Um, so it's not, you know, it's like, it's difficult to say, hey, you know, why doesn't the company just tell me that? I'd love to hear that from the company because then I could just identify the 10 bagger right there and then. Um, I guess that's a unique piece of information that has meaning to a particular person. But in general, we're looking at preparing the market as a whole um, under, a, uh, I guess, a fair um, information disclosure process uh, according to ASX listing rules. So, this, so that's the first area um, is existence with the ASX rather and the second then would be a whole myriad of channels that we're using to get the the story known um, so that could be appearing on a Eureka report by Alan Kohler if we can get in um, it could be working um, with some of the uh, service providers that, that are out there uh, that include you know, Stockhead or proactive investors. So there's a myriad of channels out there to help um, create existence as well as digital channels have, <clears throat> have come up these days as well. Um, obviously, the investor relations um, practitioner or the CEO needs to decide on a budget, right? Because it's generally not, not free. So there's always a bit of a trade-off there in how hard you want to go in terms of existence. Um, you might say, well, look, a good, a good stock um, will create its own existence. We might um, come back to that actually in, in some of my thoughts about that, if that's okay, but that's also an important side point. The second step after creating existence, which is obviously ongoing, um, would be to educate. So we're looking to, to make sure that on, on balance, um, investors uh, are aware of the investment opportunity and what sits inside of that at any point in time. I just want to come back to something you just said before, Glenn, because I think you said context. Um, so if I've kind of understood you correctly, that I guess a different company, investor relations might mean something else to say a bigger cap or a small cap. Is that right? Yeah, it is. So I guess um, if we look at uh, step back and look at um, 
the investment strategy that someone has, right? So I think, I guess, when I think about your channel and, and trying to help people understand the investor relations professional and why it's so important, so integral to, to listed companies is the investment strategy uh, itself sets the scene and the tone for investor relations as well. So, for example, in a large cap company, I guess you're not really trawling for um, 10 baggers, right? There's, there is mismatching in pricing over time, et cetera, and there's different views, but, you know, maybe the potential there would be a, a one or two bagger at best, right, if there was a, um, a point in time mismatch in, in, um, in company valuation. Here we're talking about very large differences of opinion and large multiples of value difference. And so the investment strategy isn't around, you know, getting 5 or 10% dividend yield, right? Because that's not going to get you a 10-bagger. So the investor relations role, therefore, also for a large cap company is going to be a little bit different to a micro cap company. For example, if we say... Uh, or use the uh, a company example like Telstra, everyone already has some sort of um, knowledge of Telstra uh, from, from get-go, right? So when I refer back to existence and education, there's already a very strong existence in the marketplace of that stock, and there's already a certain level of education that, that people already have about it. And there's a huge amount of third-party information you can go and get um, as well. So the investor relations role there obviously um, isn't pushing in existence as hard or needing to um, or, or educating as, as much because there's so much information out there. And so therefore, the role is a little bit different in a large cap company. Also, the governance aspects of a large cap company is slightly, the governance rules are the same, but the application of the rules are a little bit different because of the businesses operating differently. So the types of announcements that you're making are different and the complexity of those announcements is, is a little bit higher. So, for example, a new contract win probably wouldn't be disclosed by a large cap company because it wouldn't be material to their existing revenues, right? It'd have to be quite massive. And that's why we generally see ad hoc announcements by large companies being the half-year report, full-year report, maybe a merger or acquisition, something really big. Um, so coming back to the application of investor relations in the micro-cap space, you've got a whole lot more activity that would be classified as material for the company that's being disclosed. Yeah, that's great. And that's, that's really useful for our listeners to sort of have some sort of tangible understanding about the people that are participating in the, in the stocks and companies that they look at. I just want to also go back to something you mentioned about what can you know, what can be disclosed to the, within the ASX listing rules and that sort of thing. And I think that's really important for people because sometimes um, investors might be looking at a company wondering, you know, why they haven't said this or why the announcement might seem strangely worded or a bit opaque or or maybe the ASX queries something afterwards. They might announce something and then a few days later, the ASX seek clarification. And from a sort of tangible point of view that investors have, do you think that creates some opportunities sometimes because the companies can't explicitly say certain things, but there's a bit of research that individuals can do outside of the IR and the company space to actually give themselves a bit of an edge? Yeah, look, I think it absolutely does. Uh, I personally believe that any scrap of information could be seen to be important. It just depends on how you perceive that information and how it links into your investment strategy. So the Australian capital markets have got a pretty strong predefined measure on what material means. Uh, generally, it's a thumb rule, you know, 10% on revenue or 10% on a key metric of a company in terms of its impact or potential impact. Um, overseas, the different 
capital markets operating a little bit differently to that where it's a bit looser, right? So I guess you could see the ASX is trying to protect investors and only have companies make announcements that are seen to be material. Um, and that's a, a in advance judgment call. And just on that, and maybe whether you can answer this or not, I'm not sure. Have you? Can you think of any examples where there's readily available public information that maybe the company, a company, does to name it, you know, isn't able to cite or source and you're not able to sort of reference publicly, but is blindingly obvious to an, <laughs> to an external investor that they could sort of compare or, or look at or sort of interest any, or maybe more generally, like where people can sometimes look for stuff that's not, that can add a bit of perspective to companies they're looking at? Yeah, sure. So I think uh, there's information everywhere, even for a micro cap. You can, I mean, the first place to go to is go to their website. None of this is standardised, right? So one website looks different to another company's website and have a look at where they're putting their information. And and sometimes they really actually are trying to help you out um, in putting perhaps articles, industry articles up, or in some cases, even um, media articles that might be in in an obscure publication. um, And they encouraging you to, to read those. So the ability of the company to push that information to you is, is, is hard. Um, you know, we can put links in quarterly reports and things like that. Um, but remember, um, or something that might not be so well known is companies are not allowed to put links to third-party information providers in their reporting. So it can only link back to their website or the ASX itself. So yes, we could put the information on the company website to begin with and then direct investors there. And that's exactly what we do in this circumstance. But we can't say, hey, look at this report, you know, by uh, Staden and Paws or some person um, with a direct link that that's not allowed. So certainly there's a lot of information out there, even for microcaps, if you uh, spend the time to, to research through that. I just perhaps want to qualify also what we mean by um, the information for someone seeking a 10-bagger. I guess my job isn't to help an individual become a 10-bagger, it's to help the collective, right? Because if we think about an individual looking for a 10-bagger, that's sort of a point in time, right? And um, for an individual to to get a 10-bagger, you've got a few steps that needs to happen, right? They need to identify and then educate themselves. Um, But if we think about the collective, well, that's an ongoing process, right, for for many people to do the same thing. And so clearly um, the original, the first uh, person who spots a a potential 10-bagger relies on that share price then to go up for it to become a 10-bagger, right? So if we want to have multiple people becoming 10-baggers, the strategy can't be that we're providing a single person or a single person gets some sort of information. It has to be ongoing. And so I think that there's a degree of complexity, therefore, in identifying a 10-bagger and maybe some some luck as well um, along the way. So my job is to help everyone be successful in a way to to understand the intrinsic or internal value of, of a company on an ongoing basis. Now, is the market efficient in achieving that? No, it's generally not. The efficient market hypothesis in the microcap space is, is not all that strong. So there's many opportunities um, to interpret or to um, find information and join that information with other pieces of information to come up with your own hypothesis, right? Which effectively um, in the 10 bagger space um, to get such a large return generally would need to be some sort of co- combination of information or something quite unique and special or, or something that um, will happen in the future that you're able to see 
that gives you um, that that earlier um, ability to, to 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 act on on the information. That's terrific, Glenn. It's it's a really important little snapshot. I wanna I wanna just come back to something you said before about the existence and the education piece. So, why is this important? I guess and and talking, I guess with 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 that overarching theme of baggers in mind about where I guess a company's heading with the message. Yeah. So look, a company is is trying to message itself where it's heading and the context of where it's heading, meaning the industry or subsector, um, as best it can. But generally, microcap companies will avoid making forward-looking statements. Um, and, and there's a reason for that, um, and that is that one is um, the governance rules, which um, state that if you put a, a target out there, then you need to disclose against that target on an ongoing basis. And generally, that's um, deemed by a company as not really being that favourable in terms of a, a position to be in because things aren't straight line and um, companies are just generally not comfortable recalibrating targets and, and generally the market is also quite harsh in, in, um, in judging um, a company get to that target. So um, that, that's the first space. The second is um, just around what's the company's ability to hit the target so here we're looking at return and the risk the risk side of the risk return equation so young companies generally aren't geared up as as well as a bhp or a telstra right so they're um, internal teams that that do all their forecasting that uh, do the doing make things happen um, the ability of a young company to have control over that um, growth is is much harder and so internally, they might have a very, very strong view on the return side that, you know, they're all working towards that. It looks very, very strong, but the ability to manage that growth and actually achieve that um, in the way that they might describe in a forward-looking statement, uh, meaning a target, um, it would be very hard to, to, to manage moving forward. So generally, that, that's avoided. Yeah, okay. And I suppose from a company's point of view as well, they're obviously, you know, trying to make sure people are aware of their presence and presumably, you know, get the share price higher and that sort of thing. That's something that's the share price. You know, some I've heard some management teams sort of say, oh, I don't care about the share price. It's like I just get along and do my business. But at the end of the day, most shareholders want the share price to go up. Uh, are you able to talk to that as about that as well, just the importance of the, the prevailing share pro- trading price of a company? Yeah, look, I generally feel that every company is, is quite different in how they perceive the, the share price. I think, it also um, comes down to a number of factors like the general cycle that we're in. Um, you know, I definitely see companies look more closely at their share price in certain situations. So, um, for example, if they're coming into a capital raise, they might be more sensitive to that, um, or if they're doing an acquisition and they're giving away script. Uh, but clearly in the microcap space, the market isn't always that efficient. And so there can be strong dislocation um, for sometimes extended periods of time between the share price and what what management might believe would be the the internal value of the company. Um, The degree to which companies try and manage that or try and um, close that that delta is, in my view, I see very many different views on that, on, on, you know, whether we just knuckle down and try and get out um, contract wins, which is more of an operational um, way of doing it, 
or accepting that there's a lag. Um, it is very varied and generally that tone is set by the board and, and um, the founder or the management of the company itself. Yeah, I mean, you sort of mentioned there, you touched on what I was curious on, which is capital raises and mergers and acquisitions and script and that sort of thing. And it's something that's always struck me is the the management teams that sort of say, oh, it doesn't matter what the share price is, but ultimately if a company, a small cap company is usually consuming cash and not generating it for a cash flow. And so if they're planning on raising more funds at any point in the future, it's it's pretty material to their interest and the shareholders, particularly if they're going to have to issue new shares. And the share price moving up you know, isn't necessarily a, a quick thing. So I think it's interesting that different perspectives. Just thinking about what you just said, Joel, um, and Glenn didn't mention it, but he certainly mentioned to me when we, we spoke uh, at another point in time. Um, did you not say a, a good managing director, Glenn, was was someone who's an IR expert or an IR practitioner? Because it comes back to what you just said, Joel. I guess if you're thinking about the share price moving, that's your ability to raise capital again and attract more investors. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess uh, if we just look look back at um, my comments, it was specifically to the share price rather than the IR activities. Um, but yes, I fully agree that um, a CEO that's uh, in a micro cap stock that wants their company to be understood, um, and often they're quite complex. So you know th there is a degree of effort required for the market to understand the company, particularly if it's a ten bagger. Like there's got, it's got to be something new or something extraordinary is happening um, over time that we we need a little bit of a push along, right? We need to help the market to to understand um, that that's the case. And um, so certainly um, I enjoy working with CEOs and boards where there is that understanding um, that we need to educate or create existence and education. Um, how strongly that's linked directly to the share price, uh, I guess I would distance myself a little bit, but of course, eventually that, that should be closing, right? Um, with, with success, um, should be able to, to relink itself um, to the share price. Just on the education and the existence piece, I know I keep coming back to it, but is that just is that just at the onset of when you the story, or is it a constant thing? It's a constant grind. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, companies are just constantly at it, and and it's uh, constantly evolving in terms of the channels that you can use, um, the budgets uh, that 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 would be required, um, the time of the year. Um, so it, it really is a lot of behind the scenes work going on and probably one of the largest pieces um, of activity that, that's happening behind the scenes other than drafting of announcements themselves, which are, which are quite um, onerous in their own right because I, I guess internally there's so many layers to get through to make sure the information is, is spot on and then ultimately to get signed off on. So it is a huge activity as well as um, drafting news flow, um, hoping, of course, that there is news flow to come from a company. Um, and then, of course, there's just the, within the education component itself, there's other pieces of collateral like the investor deck, right? So that's obviously an, an organic um, document. Um, there's conferences that we would be um, attending. So, you know, there you're getting a combination of existence to many investors and also education. Um, to, to others that might already know who you are. Yeah. No, that's that's really interesting, Glenn. And it sounded like an obvious question when I asked it, but in the back of my mind while you're explaining all these concepts, I can see an informational asymmetry to someone who understands the education, the existence, 
to someone that's picking up the story for the first time. And essentially, if if more and more people are understanding what the company's message is, that would in turn boost the share price. Uh, if if I've understood what you're saying correctly, and it, that 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 needs to be consistently happening, right? That's right. So to boost the share price, the mechanics has to be that someone has a view to sell, to offer the stock, and another person has a view to buy the stock. And this is why I, I talked about the concept of a 10-bagger for an individual versus a 10-bagger for the collective, right? Collective meaning for, 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 for many people that you know, have a decent um, investment horizon. So I'm, I'm referring to the perspective of a 10-bagger for everyone, not for an individual. But even the individual does rely on the fact that others feel the same way about the stock at, at a future point in time because obviously they buy their stock and get set and then for the share price to go up, there have to be differing views. And the differing views need to be such that there's a tension in the share price such that it is a strong attention towards buying over time, right? Um, so we're here to, to help educate the collective um, and hopefully the growth multiple of the company and the management team's view on that represents the 10-bagger in the share price over time, right? So with that in mind then, Glenn, I guess the question we would have to ask as a follow-on is how does an investor relations message spread to other investors? Well, that's, that's through the process, right? And so that I guess that's the thing that sort of is a little bit hidden. It's, it's through creating existence constantly. It's through educating constantly. And, and then, of course, there's a lot of information and decision-making and behavioural finance that's very much down at the individual investor level or the sharing between investors level on forums and things like that. So it's not all the company's job. <laughs> there is a significant part there, but it, it does come back to the investor as well. Um, generally, uh, I would say to get that 10-bagger, you need to be able to work through some degree of complexity and join some dots, right, that perhaps um, a significant amount of people cannot do. Um, the other thing I guess I'd say is that there's a, a difference between um, being able to get a 10-bagger once versus, and maybe that you're being lucky, versus it being repeatable, right? So if we move from a 10-bagger concept into sort of funds management, the professional investor, you know, where there's investors that sit behind the, the fund manager. Can a fund manager be out there only to, to do 10-baggers? Well, I think they would all love to, but their formula needs to be repeatable, right? It's like with anything in, you know, laboratory science as well, you get an outcome, but you need to be able to repeat it under those same conditions. And so whilst we're not able to obviously... Um, if you were able to repeat it um, wholeheartedly every time, you know, you probably wouldn't be sitting here. You'd be rich and on a beach somewhere. But certain aspects or elements of it should be repeatable. And so this is another reason to move away from a 10-bagger for an individual and look at the 10-bagger for a collective and what are some of those common denominators that we should look for, which one I think is, you know, why I'm here talking to you today is what's the importance of investor relations in that formula and how should you be assessing it? Because if a company's not able to get more existence and educate, then by definition, it really can't become a 10-bagger, can it? Because there's been no liquidity in share trading. No one would be having differing views and buying and selling very much. And so it'd be very hard for the share price to go up. No, that's fantastic. That, and it really explains the importance of it. 
I guess as a more generally about the IR function within a company. So you work for yourself and work with a number of different companies. Some other companies are going to have their own investor relations person or person that performs that function. Can you sort of talk us through the difference of having sort of an in-house person or somebody outside doing it and how that might vary if it does at all? Yeah, look, I think investor relations is very much a science. It's a, for me, it's a combination between understanding company valuation. It's an ability to write technical um, uh, announcements or the co- content of announcements can be quite technical. I guess it's also a question of, you know, to, to what degree would an external IR be involved in the company? You know, is it sort of like a mini department or is it more a surface level um, that the company's looking for? And I guess every company is a little bit different there in, in terms of what they want. Um, but certainly my way of looking at investor relations is very holistic. And I think that speaks back to creating existence, creating education, um, managing things behind the scenes and having a, a decent understanding of ASX listing rules um, so that, you know, things are set and positioned uh, well. Yeah, fantastic. And from an investor's point of view, if they're out there looking at a company and they want to, you know, they're doing their own research and diligence on it, without going into the specifics of the company's operations, do you think there's anything that they can look at, particularly around the IR and communications piece of a company and whether they can gain any insights as to the company's approach, operations, good or bad, based on that? Yeah, sure. Look, I guess I would say look at, Look at all information available, um, you know, including coming back to where where is that information. So look at the website. You know, spend some time there. I think um, this isn't a quick thing, right? So this this really is a, an intensive process and an ongoing process. And you know, many great investors um, have said, you know, you need to get really to know a company, know their management. So this requires looking at a company over time. It's not sort of a one time look in and make a decision. It's following the company, building confidence in the company, reading as much information as possible to understand context, first-hand information from the company, but as well um, industry information. And again, I guess I'm looking at this as a long-term holder, so not not as a sort of a three or six-month sort of 10-bagger situation, which is a different, I guess, a different kettle of fish. If you're out there for that, then it's probably the the strategy to do that might be a little bit different to, to what I'm referring to today. Glenn, I was just thinking while you were talking about, you know, the, the, the education piece, at what point does the, the loop of, so let's just say a typical company has a 1,000 investors, presumably some of these investors are really engaged, some aren't as engaged, some have bought the stock because their mates loves the stock and they've said, buy this, this thing's going to go up. What point does, as a practitioner or as a company director, do you look inwardly and actually flip it on itself and go, okay, well, we need to update or educate our own investors? And at what point does that feedback to the company directors and or is it useful? Yeah, so the existing investors are the most important because you've already got their attention. So so there is a huge degree of focus actually on the existing investor. Um, and, and let's not forget, many share registers have got a lot of uh, passive or, or sort of dormant investors, uh, but they're still low-hanging fruit. It's still easier to activate them um, because you've got their details um, and, and they know who you are um, to, to, to work with rather than get a, a new investor, right? So we can talk about the cost of acquisition of a new investor. It's, 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 it's difficult. It's tough, particularly in microcaps, right, because it's 
doesn't appeal to everyone. Definitely, there's many people out there looking at micro caps, but certainly it's not as, um, if we just look at a private client advisor, for example, in the Australian market, you know, that works for one of the um, large chain uh, brokers like Bell Potter, for example, the private client advisor, he'll be chasing some alpha for, for his clients, no doubt, um, which is a micro cap, um, for example. But most of his time will be reading research in, in the um, mid to large cap because that's just going to be where there's more work for, for, by their clients um, to, to be on top of things. And there's a little bit more um, control between risk and return that, that fits their profile, right? So um, it's it's very important to work with your existing shareholder register. I would say that probably most of the work is done assuming we're talking to someone that that's already on the register because they're already there. Um, so it does it definitely makes a lot of sense. And the work to get a new investor to come on board is definitely a lot tougher. So that that existence um, part is uh, it, it's much harder to achieve. I guess just to tie it up, then it, it's. If, if I've understood everything you've said correctly, Glenn, it's it's clear existence. Audience needs to be educated. These points are going to create more people potentially falling in love with the story or supporting the story. Um, but are there any other technical tools or any other tips, I guess, for, for investors that are just really sort of, I've heard investor relations thrown around a bit, but, you know, want to apply these 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 general principles to their investment or investment searching process? Yeah, sure. So I think uh, analyst research is very, very important. Probably I'll say up front, a lot of people overly focus on uh, uh, the rating of, of a report um, or if there's a share price target there, I would say that's probably the last thing um, I would look at. The, the the value of research, whether it's paid research um, or, or coming from a, a broker itself, is really the context, right? That They've done all the the hard work in understanding the context of where the company's sitting. And so that's a you know a free read in, in many respects um, and an independent one. Um, and I would I would pay close attention to, to, to broker reports to help um, add um, sort of already well-formed uh, views uh, that you can can add into to your own. And obviously the more the better, but microcap stocks generally don't don't have any uh, broker research or only very limited, but certainly that that's a great tool to use. Um, and um, I'll definitely uh, take a look in that area. Yeah, I think that really does sum up the opportunity, as you say. The more information, the better, but in many cases, there's not much published information out there. So it really is up to an individual to go and source their own. And I suppose on a more general note, Glenn, was there anything else you wanted to cover off before we uh, wrap up the conversation? I just wanted to come back quickly, if I may, to the concept of uh, repeatable, you know, the investment strategy of a 10-bagger, you know, how repeatable it is, because I'm sure there's a, a large number of people out there that have had a 10-bagger, right? They've, they've actually done one. And so I really want to differentiate from that because the one isn't a strategy yet that's, that's proven itself, right? It's, it's just one. And, and definitely um, luck is involved um, a lot of the time. It's just like you know, going for a job as well. There's a, we all accept that there's a degree of luck. So, I guess for for your channel and your audience, and, and the way I'm trying to convey my my experience um, is is from the perspective of a repeatable ten bagger. So, what what are the some of those key elements you might be looking for that could help create that repeatable um, method for you? And and that's really, I guess 
moving away from a single investor mentality to what are the what are the collective uh, things that that would be helpful um, as as part of you doing your diligence to to op- to identify that opportunity. Yeah, I think Luck's an interesting one, and some of our previous guests have discussed as well because it's a you still got to be uh, making that decision to then get lucky on it. If you if you're not involved at all, then obviously you won't have any any chance of that success. But it is a definite risk reward sort of trade off, I suppose. Yeah, and uh, I, I guess you know within that we often talk a lot about the return side of things because essentially that's that's how you see a ten bagger. But the risk side is actually what manifests behind the scenes, meaning how companies manage risk versus return, all those little micro decisions over time. And so the assessment of risk, even though we're not looking at a low risk investment opportunity per se, otherwise we've been maybe looking at a different stock or different capped stock, we want to at least be aware of those risks, right? We would still, you know, if you had two stocks that are high growth and one's got more risk than another, we would definitely go with the one that has got less risk. So I would definitely look through the lens of risk, um, not, not as a necessarily a strong criteria to overrule your enthusiasm about growth, but just to keep it in mind. And I think that does dovetail back into what um, research analysts do so well in their reports is they actually cover off on a lot of risk. It might sound boring, but it, but it provides you with the base for how the returns are being generated, whether the returns are being generated with a lot of risk or with not so much risk. Often that, that's quite well documented in those reports. Uh, and just finally, Glenn, does the stage in the life cycle, I mean, that's the, the thought that's also in the back of my mind here is, you know, if we're talking about alpha or baggers, we want to be there as early as possible. So um, are you saying that... Uh, investors or punters need to take their own view and, and form these conclusions as well? Well, I guess in a, in a way that you've got an investment horizon, but everyone's investment horizon is different and everyone um, comes across the existence and the enlightenment, which is the education part, um, at different points in time. So, um, yes, it, it would be preferable if you are able to get in there first, I guess, because the chance of it... Um, of you getting that 10 bagger would you know once we look back this is in hindsight would, would be greater but remember that it's not straight line often for these 10 baggers either right if we were to plot the share price of them um they might you know go up a little bit and then down a lot and then up a lot you know we, we don't the curve the j curve could be in reverse could be a lot in the beginning and, and then pitters out but still constantly goes up and so anyone who got in very early did well it could be the other way around so could, could be a lot of um, steep share price appreciation towards the end. So, look, it really does depend. And I think this is where we need to separate between what the company is doing in terms of the contribution to your 10-bagger versus what the investor is doing and what the collective investor is doing. Because, again, you, you don't get share price appreciation unless someone is selling um, as well, right? You need to create the the stock available and someone needs to have a, a more positive view on that so that i guess in other terms used in investment communities liquidity speaks to liquidity daily trading volume or volume trading volume over over time so it, it, i guess we need all of those components to some degree and every 10 bagger story will have a different cake mix if you like 
um, in, in getting there and your ability to increase your chances, um, you know, they exist um, by your ability to, to understand what's going on. And, and so clearly all the different topics we've talked about today, it's, it is quite complex. Mm. No, I really like that, Glenn, about the term collective because it, it, it's almost a throwback to something I'm sure everyone's heard once before, you know, take some money off the table and hope that you've left some money somewhere down the line for the next person because if that next person isn't going to make some money, then that's not going to create the bags for everyone. So, yeah, it's a nice little um, segue to finish on. Glenn, just finally, uh, it's been a real pleasure having you on, but a couple of options. We're aware of the um, the ASIC rules and the tightening. We always ask our guests for a 10-bagger. Maybe you, here's your opportunity to talk about some of the companies you work for and why they might be a 10-bagger. And finally, where investors can reach you if, if, if you're happy with that. Yeah, sure. So, look, I will avoid uh, on naming stocks uh, directly on this channel, um, but I would say Google my name and um, you'll see uh, on the vast majority of my clients I am named um, on announcements, not, not in every situation, but certainly uh, you, can, you can work back um, to see um, some of the interesting stocks that I'm uh, supporting and, um, and help, helping with their investor relations activities. Terrific. Okay. Well, Glenn, thank you very much for jumping on the show today. It's been really enlightening and I know that many listeners um, will have picked up some nuggets and, and tools to help their uh, investment selection and punting. Yeah, thank you very much. That's really, really useful. Appreciate your time. Thanks, Joel. Thanks, Sam. Music in this episode is called 10 Minutes by Green Monday and from twinmusicom.org. Remember, the contents of this show is not financial advice. If you have questions or need more information about your own circumstances, make sure to contact a professional financial advisor.